So, John, two questions. We're going to use your body as an example. First and foremost, are your legs directly under your body? When you stand up, your legs directly under your body. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Congratulations. <laughs> if you were nervous, you're going to get that wrong. <laughs> um, okay, so yes, legs under the body, halfway to being a dinosaur. Congratulations. Do you have scales and or feathers? No, thankfully not. There are a couple very small uh, exceptions to the rule, but 99.9% .9 of the time, if an animal has its legs directly under its body and it has scales and or feathers, that animal is a dinosaur. Welcome back to Knowledge Brews Supreme, the show that percolates your creativity. And it is I, your host, Dr. John Chansey, and I am back and better than ever. Before we begin today's episode, let's hear from show sponsor Sleeves Sold Separately to help pay the bills. Greetings. This is Dr. John Chansey, host of Knowledge Brews Supreme. And I'm here to tell you about one of my favorite products in the fitness game, our new show sponsor, Sleeves Sold Separately. Sleeves Sold Separately is a brand of athleisure clothing for men who train hard and also want to look good while doing so. The clothes that these wonderful folks make are an absolute game changer. Their products are designed and manufactured in the United States, out in Los Angeles, and they are shipped directly to your home. Sleeve Sold Separately offers a wide variety of athleisure clothing, such as the Wife Lover tank top, their classic sleeveless hoodie, their Lungeman shorts that come in both four and six inch seams, and so much more. My personal favorite from Sleeve Sold Separately is their take on the classic jogger bottoms, except theirs is called the Sprinter. Sprinters come in several colors. And even before they were a show sponsor of Knowledge Brew Supreme, I bought multiple pairs in black. I've got a gray pair, a teal pair of the Sprinters, and I wear these daily. Uh, so please check them out. Visit their website at sleevesoldseparately.com. My listeners of Knowledge Brew Supreme can get 15% off your order from Sleeve Sold Separately using the promo code KNOWLEDGE15. That's all one word, KNOWLEDGE15. So please check out Sleeve Sold Separately, use the promo code, and thank me later. Take care. Bye. My guest for today's show is the one and only Dustin Groick who is a dinosaur expert and anthropologist and turns out that like the perfect guest I've been looking for this whole time. I've absolutely been wanting to bring on a dinosaur expert and I'm so happy to have Dustin on today. A little bit of background about Dustin. He is a trained anthropologist with a master's degree in human biological and cultural evolution. Uh, he had, With his on-camera work, you can find on social media and other places, uh, and in-person work focusing primarily on dinosaurs, uh, and which is a proven gateway uh, to the drug of science. Uh, Dustin has also written two dinosaur encyclopedias and led prehistoric adventure tours across the state of Colorado, one of my absolute favorite states, so maybe next time I'm up that way, hiking a 14er, I might have to check out some of your work. Uh, he's always looking for new ways to engage new audiences. He's designed and hosted an interactive and ticketed Dino One 101 virtual experience uh, every week for over a year during the height of the pandemic. 
Dustin continues to expertly and energetically communicate science via tours of the American Museum of Natural History on his Instagram reels and at his monthly live science comedy variety show called Science 101. What an absolute pleasure it is to have you on this show. Uh, welcome to Knowledge Brew Supreme. Dustin, how are you doing today? I'm I'm great. I feel like you've set the bar pretty high, uh, but we're going to meet it. Challenge accepted. Let's go. I love it. Love the enthusiasm. I love having uh, an expert here. It sounds like I've got a dinosaur expert slash renaissance man. You've, you're you're well-versed in a number of areas, so uh, just absolutely thrilled to have you here today. So, you know, I just went through your background a little bit, but obviously there's probably more to it than just those couple of paragraphs uh, I just read through. So I kind of want to know, like, taking us back however, however far you want to go, what is your origin story of studying dinosaurs i know we also talked a little bit about this off of off of recording but uh where did you go to school also to study dinosaurs sorry there's a helicopter flying above and i, I don't know if you could hear that um where did i go to school so i did not go to school i should mention like you said at the at the jump i went to school for anthropology which i want to say right off the bat is not dinosaurs anthro is people um and it wasn't it's funny because people are always like, oh, you must have loved dinosaurs as a kid. You must have been like a huge dinosaur kid. And I had a dinosaur-like phase like any other child, but it wasn't until I went to grad school for anthropology. And then that helped me get a job at the American Museum of Natural History in New York. And it wasn't until working there again in education that I realized, like you said a moment ago, that dinosaurs are a gateway drug to science, right? I don't care how old you are, what your background is. They're immediately grabbing, engaging. And then once you have that hook, it's easy to segue the conversation into anything under the big umbrella of life, science, biology, whatever. And so it really was working at what I believe to be the greatest science institution on the planet, the American Museum of Natural History in New York, that I fell back in love with dinosaurs and then kind of took, honestly, like the branding opportunity. It was, this was almost a decade ago when people had started doing a lot of like science communication, science entertainment, education stuff on YouTube and on different social platforms. And no one was really doing anything with dinosaurs. And I was like, this, this is my bag. I'm going to do this. And I picked that lane and I've been running 100 miles an hour with, towards, away from, no, with the dinosaurs ever since. <laughs> okay. I love it. I love it. Starting with anthropology, going to museums. Now you're working with dinosaurs. So I can, I can easily see how the dots are connecting. And there is like, there's a lot of overlap when we think about, you mentioned uh, like the biological evolution, like evolution of biology is fascinating to me. And, and there is, I don't think, a greater group of animals that have ever existed on this planet to really think about and talk about evolution writ large. And I, th I think that was part of the draw for me, for sure. Fantastic. So now we're going to get into kind of, you know, you've, you've been, you've been studying and, and, and sharing information about dinosaurs, both in person and online. Um, do you have a favorite dinosaur to talk about or more specific or more broadly, do you have a favorite period uh, to talk about when you're sharing this uh, wonderful information with with people? Uh, so I do get asked what is my favorite dinosaur all the time. And that's also a question I ask people almost immediately when I meet them, uh, because I think it's a good bellwether. Like if people, you know, you ask someone, oh, hey, what's your favorite dinosaur? And they're like, I don't know. It's like, all right, well, this is not going to be a great conversation. But then other people are a little more receptive. But for me personally, um, I think my favorite dinosaur, and thank you for asking, uh, is a tie between Deinonychus and Parasaurolophus. Ooh. Have you ever heard of either of these? I'm, I'm, I must admit, I'm not familiar. I feel like if I saw the, you know, saw an image of them, maybe something would come to mind. But the names are eluding me at this moment. I'm, I'm okay, okay. that. Okay. 
Uh, crash course, Parasaurolophus is a duck-billed hadrosaur, so it's an herbivore. Um, it has a three-foot, it had a three-foot-long, like a meter-long, basically trombone fused to its skull. So its nasal passages were, went backwards, literally three feet, looped back around into its mouth, we think for like very loud cacophonous vocalizations for either fighting or flirting, which is a theme that we come back to all the time with dinosaurs. Like any weird feature on a dinosaur is either fighting, flirting, or fanning, thermoregulation, oh. sometimes combination thereof. But like, because they're not here anymore, it's really hard to know. Uh, I really, I just, it's a weird looking guy and I like that one. So I feel like I should have an herbivore favorite, which is that, and a carnivore favorite, which is Deinonychus. And you've seen Deinonychus before because the raptors in Jurassic Park are Deinonychus. Oh. So yeah, Steven Spielberg liked, and in the book as well, they're Deinonychus. Steven Spielberg liked the name Velociraptor better, thought it was more like cinematic, which I don't disagree, but you're basically looking at plucked Deinonychus because we know they were covered in feathers as well. So when you see the raptors in Jurassic Park, that's Deinonychus with feather, without feathers. And not only are they like obviously very scary and impressive animals, but that animal specifically kind of jump-started the dinosaur revolution in the 70s, at least in like popular culture. Uh, so in people's minds, dinosaurs started moving away from like slow reptile plodding through the swamp, dragging its tail behind us to the much more like active, warm-blooded scary as hell predator that we see in Jurassic Park. So yeah, Parasaurolophus and Deinonychus for different reasons. Those are my two faves. I got to ask you, John, you have I'm, a favorite. I'm going to be basic. I My earliest recollections of dinosaurs are watching Jurassic Park when I was probably like four or five years old in the theater, being yeah. absolutely terrified by the Tyrannosaurus Rex. I know it's probably, it's the go-to for a lot of people, but <laughs> I still remember just that feeling of being terrified. I mean, the raptors definitely too, or Deinonychus, as you say, you know, as you say, the, the proper name. Uh, you can still say raptors because they're actually part of the raptor family. So that's fine. Okay. That's but I'm going to have to go with T-Rex. I just love the way they not only describe the T-Rex in, in, in those movies, but also just the way they just build up that anticipation, how you don't even, you don't even see it for a while. You just hear the the footprints coming in the water, you know, kind of uh, all those things happening. And I, that really resonated with me. Um, probably after that, if I had to go with a close second, I, you know, and again, you you might correct me on this, but I love a good brontosaurus. I, I love how just- How would I correct you? That's great. I don't Why know. Not? Well, I didn't know maybe there's another name or something. I'm Maybe I'm mistaken. I don't know. But that's why I brought the expert on just in case. So I, I wanted to, you know, cover all my bases. But yeah, if I had to go with a carnivore, T-Rex, brontosaurus for for a herbivore so i mean those two are iconic you can't go wrong either way i'm on Excellent. board so let I me mean, have... I, used to think, oh, I used to think t-rex is a little bit overrated but the more that i've learned and studied it's it's appropriately related it is it is absolutely america's dinosaur uh <laughs> yeah there's so that's a great choice it's a great choice no I problem love it. america's dinosaur i feel like that should be like a like a change.org uh petition or something we should get that get that going so Kind of a related question. You talked about velociraptors. You talked about how they're, you know, they're plumed, they have feathers, but obviously in the movies, they take that out. A mm -hmm. um, couple things I'm thinking of is it is when people say, and I hear this often, maybe not necessarily from dinosaur experts, but they'll say things like uh, birds are the closest relatives to dinosaurs now. Is that true? Um, technically, that's not so... <laughs> Birds are dinosaurs. Birds are literally dinosaurs. So yes, they're the closest relatives, but they literally are. They'd be like, you're the, 
Yes. So birds are dinosaurs. When we say dinosaurs went extinct, we mean all non-avian or non-flying dinosaurs. But like taxonomically speaking, uh, like the physical features, the anatomical features, the suite of features that taxonomists use to denote a dinosaur as a dinosaur, birds have all those features as well. So they're not just relatives of dinosaurs. They're literally dinosaurs and the only ones that are still here today. Oh my goodness. I'm never going to look at a bird the same again. That, that I, I mean, honestly, I, I know a lot of people that are birders and being a birder has like gotten them into dinosaurs, but it's been the opposite for me being like falling back in love with dinosaurs has gotten me into birds because it's fascinating. There's a modern corollary that we can look at to glean clues about physical appearance, behavior, like everything about animals that haven't been here for 65 million years. And another question on relation to that, um, I don't know much about crocodiles or alligators, but I hear some people refer to them as modern dinosaurs and the fact that they haven't evolved in you know millions of years, they're just, they are what they are. Is that also true or is that, is there I a mean, that as well? People use, people use the term dinosaur in a lot of different ways, you know, like, oh, look at my iPhone 4, this is a dinosaur, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> but like scientifically speaking, alligators and crocodiles are reptiles. Okay. Uh, dinosaurs are a type of reptile. So they are related, um, but they are not dinosaurs. And they've undergone a fair amount of their own evolution over millions and millions of years as well. But I, I actually, it's good that you brought that up because I think if we're going to talk about like how you ID a dinosaur and like what's a dinosaur, what's not a dinosaur, like I mentioned, there's a whole suite of characteristics, but in a much easier way, um, any animal you look at ever out the window on in the book, on the internet, movie, whatever, ask yourself two questions. And if the answer is yes to both of these, you're looking at a dinosaur. So John, we're gonna, yeah, all right, simplify. I, one thing I've learned in my time in like science communication is like, I keep coming back to the idea of the economy of language. Like how do you get across what you're trying to say in literally the least number of words as possible? And that was actually pretty helpful with the, you know, when Twitter's uh, character count was even less because you really had to figure out like, how do I do this in this little bite-sized engaging chunk? So John, two questions. We're gonna use your body as an example, first and foremost. Are your legs directly under your body? When you stand up, your legs directly under your body. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Congratulations. <laughs> halfway to being a dinosaur. You were nervous to get that wrong. <laughs> um, okay, so yes. Legs under the body, halfway to being a dinosaur. Congratulations. Do you have scales and or feathers? No, thankfully not. There are a couple very small uh, exceptions to the rule, but 99.9% .9 of the time, if an animal has its legs directly under its body and it has scales and or feathers, that animal is a dinosaur. And I bring this up because you mentioned alligators and crocodiles. Their legs are split out to the side, right? They don't come right under them, which oh, makes wow. sense if you're an animal that lives in water, right? You're pushing water from side to side. When you then come on land as an alligator or crocodile, it's not an efficient way to move. It's like walking around while doing a push-up, right? Dinosaurs are the first major group of animals to completely abandon life in water and live solely on land. And when you live solely on land and your legs come right under your body, move a lot faster, more efficiently. So I think that's probably the most important adaptation that allowed them to dominate the Mesozoic for nearly 200 million years. All right. Okay. I love it. The criteria, just cut, if you check two boxes, we're talking. I'll about send you the flowchart. I made a little like business card flowchart. <laughs> I'll send you a copy. Nice. Would, would it be a, would it be inappropriate if anywhere in my bio, I, I add half dinosaur because I at least meet one of those criteria? Sure. You can, you can put my name after that. Contact this man with questions. Sure. Yeah, sure. Fair enough. All right. Um, you kind of answered my next question, but you also said, we talked about the T-Rex and you said you used to think it was the most overrated dinosaur or one of the most. Um, if it's not T-Rex, what do you think would be the most overrated dinosaur maybe uh, after now that T-Rex is properly rated? 
it's funny, like I try to be, especially in all my like education, communication stuff, I try to stay as positive as possible. I'm never like, going to hate on a thing. Uh, but I do believe the most, <laughs> that being said, uh, I do believe the most overrated dinosaur is probably Triceratops. Ooh, interesting. Why is that? I, I love, people love Triceratops and I get that. Um, I think because Triceratops is part of a larger Ceratopsian family. There are dozens of other horned, frilled dinos that are very close cousins that are just way more weird and badass and unique looking with like multiple spikes, crazy different frill shapes. So like Triceratops is like the basic cutout of a Ceratopsian. And there are all these really, really cool variations that people don't even know about. So I guess if you're looking at Triceratops as like an, an entry into more of those guys, sure. But otherwise just by himself, I don't know. I think you could do better. Okay. Well, maybe you've already answered my next question then. Um, what do you think is the most underrated dinosaur? Is it part of that family you just mentioned? Or is there any other dinosaurs that come to mind? Oh, my friend, I've done many a list on most underrated dinosaurs. Uh, I'm going to ask you, can you give me like, I can give you a most underrated for like basically every group if you want. Let's go with carnivore first. Okay, so most underrated carnivore. There, I, There's a couple I want to talk about. One, Giganotosaurus. Um, its name means great southern lizard. And it is literally bigger than a T-Rex. Oh, and so, okay. yeah, comparable in size to a T-Rex and a Spinosaurus. And people don't even know about it. Like we talk about T-Rex and this happens sure. to be a more slightly larger from South America uh, and people don't even know it exists. So Giganotosaurus is one for sure. Uh, Sinoceropteryx is a tiny little like squirrel sized theropod. So theropods are the three-toed bipedal upright, primarily carnivorous dinosaurs like your T-Rexes, like your Velociraptors. This guy's like the size of a squirrel. And we, it's the first dinosaur we found non-avian non-flying dinosaur we found with direct evidence of feathers and the feathers are so well preserved that we can actually see the color of this animal so it's it had a tail that was ring-tailed and like a a brownish red and white it had a white undershaded belly and almost like a raccoon bandit mask eye situation just a very very cute little guy that no one knows about uh and it also is a good reminder that dinosaurs came in all shapes and sizes like not everything was huge Dinosaurs are size of a house cat up to literally the largest thing that's ever walked on the face of the earth. Wow. Okay. I like it. That guy's good. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted, you said you also said brontosaurus. So for your sauropods, your long neck dinos, there yeah. is a dinosaur named Nigersaurus. Uh, if you guess it was found in, in Niger, you, you're correct. Uh, <laughs> um, it's not like the biggest sauropod, but its face looks like like Darth Vader and a vacuum cleaner had a baby. Like it's a very like flat lawnmower of a face that we think it just like mowed over low-lying vegetation. Oh, it's just so wow. weird looking. So that, that one for sure. And to go to your Triceratop group, uh, there's one called Styracosaurus that is a nut, like close relative of Triceratops that has eight spikes on its frill rather than just like the flat filled in spike uh, or frill like a Triceratops. So yeah, eight frills, just incredibly metal looking guy. So those, that's a a quick smattering of some of the most underrated. All right. I love it. I love it. Coming with the list, coming prepared. I love it. Um, let me ask you this. This doesn't necessarily have to be your favorite dinosaur, but let's just say, let's play hypothetical here. If you uh, could be reincarnated and come back as any dinosaur, which which dinosaur would you choose and why? Coelophysis, duh. I feel like, I feel like you asked that like I was gonna have to think now. I've thought about I've thought about every angle at which to talk about dinosaurs. It's bonkers. I mean, as a science communicator, I've been doing this for a decade, 
And if my specialty is dinosaurs, I literally have spoken to like every demographic and thought of every weird cheeky way to get into talking about dinosaurs, like making a dinosaur like star chart, like what is your star sign, which dinosaur is most appropriate. So anyway, uh, Coelophysis. Coelophysis is one of the first, I mentioned theropods before. It's one of the first dinosaurs that we know to exhibit the basic theropod body plan that we see in later animals like T-Rex, Velociraptor, modern birds. Uh, and I say earliest because it was way back in the Triassic. Like dinosaurs were primarily in the Mesozoic, which is Triassic, Jurassic, then Cretaceous. So Coelophysis was a little bit smaller than the Velociraptors you, or the Deinonychus you saw in Jurassic Park. Um, again, they were first to show that theropod body plan. And the first dinosaur that we know that had a furcula or a wishbone, which, Ooh. you know, Thanksgiving is a cool little fun thing that you can... You can take about the dinosaur's furcula. Uh, but later on in modern birds, the furcula would act as an attachment for stronger shoulder muscles, which would eventually uh, house or support wings for flight. And so coelophysis is pretty cool in that way. We also found some really, really cool fossils of them with stomach contents preserved. So we know exactly what they were eating as well. So that's, it's just a cool, like old, I think, again, underrated dino. So coelophysis. I love it. Okay. Uh do you have a favorite dinosaur movie? Jurassic Park, duh. It's the greatest cinematic achievement of all time. I'm a little weirded out that you'd even ask that question. But All right, all right. Just had to make sure. You never know. Some people, you know, you got to ask. But I mean, uh, I, like, I feel contractually obligated to say that, but I also do believe it. Like, it holds up as a movie. The, the CGI holds up. Like, you could easily argue it's Steven Spielberg's best film. Yes. Uh, so it's, I mean, yeah, I'm a dinosaur nerd, but like, it's a great movie. Just full stop. Yes, yes. The, the the everything they did about that movie, nothing about it is like aged poorly. It looks oh, well. Wait, wait, wait. Some of the science isn't exactly oh, sure, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. I, I'll blame that more on Michael Crichton more than uh, than anyone else. But the dinosaurs, at least, you know, top notch. Well, it's funny because like what we know in what we've learned in the scientific community takes time to then filter into like the public consciousness. Like in science, like in paleontological circles, even when Jurassic Park came out, we knew that raptors had feathers, right? But like that just wasn't in the public consciousness yet. So like the idea of then putting them with feathers would have been like a step too far, I think, in believability. But like yeah. now it's it's much more commonly known. So now in the new Jurassic World movies, you see you see pyroraptors with feathers. You see the regular velociraptors with feathers, other ones with feathers as well. So it takes time, I think, for the public consciousness and acceptance of like these new discoveries to to really like be front and center before before it's like portrayed in the media. Okay, fair enough. The the general public likes to be spoon fed their science. We can't take it all like a fire hose, even though right. maybe right. It'll, maybe it'll look cooler. Who knows? Um. I think I already know the answer to this, so maybe maybe you can give me your second choice. Uh, besides besides the besides um, oh excuse me besides the American Museum of Natural History, do you have yeah. another favorite like museum, a go to museum for dinosaurs? Or if somebody asks you, maybe if they're not going to be in New York and they want to explore dinosaurs, where would you where would you recommend? Uh, the list is crazy. Okay, so I think my second favorite is probably the Field Museum in Chicago. Not Ooh. only, yeah, not only is it a beautiful museum, they do really good work there, uh, both like scientifically and like public programming wise. Um, it it depends on like where you are. Like if you're in the American West, uh, it's hard to top the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. Oh, uh, if you go far enough north into Canada, uh, Royal Terrell Museum of Paleontology and Drumheller is literally Canada's dinosaur museum. It's a fascinating museum. It's they have, uh, it's insane. 
Uh, Museum of the Rockies in Bozeman has more T-Rex skulls than anywhere else on the planet. So I think it's a decent smattering right there. Yeah, I mean, Naturalist Museum in LA is good as well. But I think my top, if I'm going like top dinosaur, you're not talking natural specific, or I'm sorry, you're not talking natural history specific. You're talking dinosaur specific. Yeah. I would have to go Museum of Natural History in New York, probably Royal Terrell, and then maybe a tie between Denver and, and Bozeman. Ooh, yeah. I like yeah. that. Okay. I'm very intrigued by the T-Rex skull uh, episode. Um, oh. Or before, or museum, excuse me. I got podcast on my brain. Um, <laughs> I have... A couple of questions that before we jumped on the podcast, I actually asked some friends of mine who I know to be dinosaur uh, yeah, let's go. fans of dinosaurs to if they had any questions. So first one uh, comes from uh, my friend Porter. He asks, how do we know what dinosaurs sound like? We don't. <laughs> <laughs> easy enough we don't okay. i mean yeah i mean that's the simple answer we don't we can make really when it comes to a lot of these things like i mentioned earlier we have to look at modern corollaries where the birds or related reptiles alligators crocodiles that type of thing and so like i mentioned parasaurolophus with those like giant vocalizations if you find well-preserved specimens you can start to make really smart like model and almost well it depends on like how well preserved the thing is uh, about like their trachea and their throat and the internal anatomy of the skull. And then you can make a model of that thing. Like at the field museum, there's this thing that you can press and it makes supposedly something similar to what we think the trombone attached to the skull of the parasaurolophus sounded like. So for some, we can make relatively educated guesses. For others, not so much. But I think it's a good, it's good to remember that dinosaurs almost certainly did not roar in the way that we see in like Jurassic Park. Because when you look at birds, we have a lot of like chirping and singing. And then when you look at alligators or crocodiles, you have much more like glutteral, like kind of like deep, kind of like vibratory sounds rather than like a lion growl, which is much more of a mammalian trait. So while we don't know exactly what they sounded like, it's we can make pretty good guesses as to what they did not sound like. Oh, fair enough. Okay, uh, got, got another one. Uh, this is for my buddy Thomas. He says, I wanna know how we only, we have only had one Spinosaurus fossil and it was destroyed in World War II. How are we still making new discoveries on a fossil that has been destroyed for 80 years? That one was, but we found lots of other Spinosaurus pieces. Yeah, so that's not quite accurate. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. That is the famous one that has been destroyed. Uh, I mean, it's I mean it's insane that anything fossilizes at all. You know what I mean? Like the chances of something becoming a fossil are incredibly small. And then the chances of us finding it millions of years later are incredibly small. And then the chances of it actually being like preserved well enough for us to glean any type of information from it are incredibly small. So the fact that we have any dinosaur fossils and have learned what we have is bonkers, especially considering like we have no idea what percentage of dinosaurs we found, right? We've named over like around 700 species, that could be 1% of all dinosaurs. That could be 98%. Like we have no idea. The, like the vagaries of the fossil record, it's just, it's a lottery. Just don't wow. know. That might be the most like eye-opening thing I've heard thus far on, on our conversation. That's, well, that's And then couple with that, that paleontology is ironically a young field. Like we've been studying physics, astronomy, you know, math for thousands of years. Di the term dinosaur wasn't even coined into the mid 1800s. Right. So we're ironically dinosaurs are like a brand new field of study. Wow. Okay. Studying one of the oldest living fossil records, yet the study itself is pretty young. That's that's fascinating. Um, 
I want to get into some more questions, but before we do, let's take a quick break to hear from our other show sponsor, Barnana Snacks, and we'll be back for some more dinosaur-related questions with Dustin. So hang tight. All right, so my wonderful sponsors at Barnana Chips were so kind uh, to send me a care package with some wonderful snacks and wonderful chips of various kinds, different snacks to try. And I've been saving one for a while that I've been, been dying to try. And it's the organic plantain chips, spicy mango salsa, their kettle cook style chips. So I'm gonna do a live uh, first try, a live taste. Uh, and you can get my instant reactions to these chips. I've been dying to try these chips. Here we go, open up the bag. Give a smell test. Ooh, ooh! I can smell the the sweetness, the, the the spiciness. Okay, here we go. First chip. Oh yeah, oh yeah! I like that a lot. Is the flavor is a little subtle? The spice is kind of subtle, but you can taste the sweetness of the mango right away. But that spicy mango kind of the salsa. Um, kind of creeping up in the back. I can feel the spice in the back of my, the back of my mouth right now. It's really good. Um, it's not overpowering the mango, the sweetness, but the salsa taste together, not overpowering, but a nice kick, you know, um, be good to have a glass of water with these, but I'm not feeling like, oh my God, I absolutely have to rush out and drink a glass of water right now. I like that, that subtle spice, uh, and it combined with the sweetness. So let me give another chip. Good stuff. Good stuff. So check these out. They're Barnana spicy mango salsa. They're kettle style chip. It's fantastic. I would give it like an 11 out of 10. I don't know. Is that fair? But check it out. Thanks, Barnana. All right. So now I'm curious, like, are you engaged in any any research currently with dinosaurs? Is there any particular route or path you're studying or anything specific you can talk about? Um, so I am a science communicator. So like, I am not a trained paleontologist. Like I've been on digs and it's great and fascinating and fun and incredibly painstaking. The people that do that for a living that are like on their hands and knees in the dirt, usually in incredibly hot temperatures in the beating down sun, like meticulously chipping away at like raw, God bless them. Like my bag is helping to try to communicate the science that, that those people are doing. So I don't do my own research outside of just learning as much as I can. Um, so what I'm working on right now is actually, you mentioned I wrote two dinosaur encyclopedias. Those are both for kids. Right now I'm working on a dinosaur encyclopedia for adults that has a little bit more of my like cheeky, sarcastic uh, Twitter tone. Yeah. And I think it's a good extension of like kind of my ethos when it comes to education and communication in general, when it comes to dinosaurs in that, like, generally speaking, we see dinosaurs either in movies as these cinematic movie monsters in a museum as this literally like dusty fossil or in a very like kitty, like neon green triceratops on a book bag for like a second grader type of thing. 
But for like the giant chunk of people in the middle that are just like interested in science, nature, evolution, animals, there's not really a lot of stuff in that in that gap, which is like where I fit and I sit. And so like I try to use a more like approachable, fun, cheeky tone to talk about dinosaurs in a way that's not for a third grader, but it's not for someone who's been studying this since the Eisenhower administration. And so I'm working on a dinosaur book for adults, as well as a museum book for kids, Ooh. which is kind of like a day in the life behind the scenes, like what happens at a museum. Uh, so that's what I'm working on right now. Those two okay. things. So any idea of when the encyclopedia for adults might be available to purchase? Nope. Oh. <laughs> it's oh. like, I've re- like, listen, it's pretty much, I'm throwing up air quotes. It's done, but you know, there's a lot of editing and fact checking that goes through. And then I'm still learning how the whole, the book industry publishing works. So no, you know, I guess, what do they say? Watch this space. Is that like, what? You're- <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, well, I might just have to get a copy of one of the kids encyclopedias to tide me over until then. I mean, I just, now I'm, I'm fascinated and I gotta, I gotta learn more. I gotta step up my dinosaur game. So. It's called dinosaur A to Z. You can find it on Amazon dinosaur A to Z. Excellent. I'll make sure to put white it neon yellow cover. <laughs> Ooh. Okay. I like it. I'll make sure to throw a, uh, a link in the show notes where people can find that AKA myself to find it. <laughs> uh, so thank you for plugging that. Um, I'm curious, like. What do you say to somebody who is skeptical about the existence of dinosaurs and kind of related to that? Are there other forms of evidence besides fossil records that you can point to, you know, besides, hey, we, yeah, we have these giants, you know, T-Rex skulls and all these things. Is there other evidence out there as well? Okay. So two parts, uh, the skeptics, I have heard from multiple people that there, someone in there at some point in their life, and usually like in the church, said something along the lines of, quote, the devil put dinosaur fossils in the ground to trick people into believing in evolution, (laughs) which like props the devil. That is like a long con that I wouldn't even think of, right? Like good, good on you, I guess. Um, It's just, it's so weird and specific. So I don't, I don't meet a lot of people that are like skeptical about the existence of dinosaurs. I mean, I think at this point we have enough uh, evidence, like you said, in the fossil record. And so that doesn't happen like too often. I think it would take like a very specific amount of, uh, willful ignorance to, to think these things were never around. Um, the second part of the question was what again, sorry. What are, are there other form, are there other records besides fossil records you could point to as evidence of dinosaurs? Not, not really. I mean, there's different types of fossils outside of your, like, getting into the weeds here there's body fossils which are literally any part of the body but we also have trace fossils which are like like a dinosaur left behind a trace that's not actually part of their body um like a coprolite which is fossilized poop like we found you like t-rex we found t-rex actually the largest coprolite ever found was from a t-rex it's like i don't know like two to three feet large uh and and i mean coprolites are (laughs) i like how we went from how do we know to i was just like poop that's how we know. So, uh, but T-Rex copyrights are fun because they're like 50% bone, which tells us they were clearly not chewing their food. They're just biting straight through an animal, partially digesting it and pooping out like 50% bone, which is, which sounds dangerous and, and painful. <laughs> yes. But, All of the above. Um, no, like we don't have like genetic evidence. People are just like, oh, when are we going to clone dinosaurs? And generally speaking, DNA that has been preserved doesn't la- like it degrades it doesn't really last more than a million or two years. Like the oldest DNA that we have that is like even close to being able to be used to do some sort of like Jurassic Park type of thing is only a million or two million years old. 
whereas dinosaurs 65 and a half million years. So I'm not going to say never, but at this point, we, we're not like in a position where we're going to make a Jurassic Park. We might make a Pleistocene Park where we're like bringing back mammoths and stuff, which is a whole nother conversation, ethically, environmentally, morally, all that jazz. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I kept, I keep seeing articles come up that we're trying to, I think, was it recreate the Willie Mammoth? And there's another one I saw recently that was pretty interesting, but. Uh, people talk about the dodo bird a lot. That's it. Yeah. The dodo. It's funny because like people think about, oh, we want to bring back this animal, but in the vast majority of those cases, we're working with incomplete DNA that much like in Jurassic Park, we're going to fill in with like elephant DNA. So really you're not recreating a mammoth. You're not bringing back a mammoth. You're creating a new animal in a new environment that yeah. it definitely did not evolve to, it didn't evolve period, let alone to live in. And so like people don't even think about that really as it being an ethical conundrum. It's not just like we're bringing back a thing, we're making a new thing. Yeah, that definitely. Another ball game. Yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, I'm sure you've maybe given this pitch uh, maybe on your social media pages or in person or, or any number of places, but I'm curious, you know, I love dinosaurs and I think a lot of people do. But I want to hear from you. Why study dinosaurs in 2023? I want you to make the case, like kind of related to that, like, for example, what can we learn about things like climate change or maybe other phenomena in science by studying dinosaurs? I mean, the big basic answer is like the more we learn about the history of life on this planet, whether not, and I don't just mean life, I mean also like the change, like climate change and ge geologic change, the more we can understand what we're dealing with now and what may happen moving forward. Um, so like, that's the big answer. I think more like zeroed in, like I said earlier, dinosaurs are a gateway drug to science. If you use that as like a hook of engagement, it's a pretty easy then segue to talking about issues like climate change, issues like extinction and issues like environmental protection, things like that. And so I, I think one of the things we talk about a lot in museum education is like, how do you get people excited about these things, especially when it comes like you can see a picture of a dinosaur. You can see literally anything in the world in a matter of seconds on your phone, right? So why are people coming to a museum, for instance, to see this thing? And I think there, there is something not just like grabby about dinosaurs and the, the idea of them, but when you go to a museum and you are standing under the actual fossilized bones of literally one of the largest things ever walked on the face of the earth, at least for me that like, I hope that engenders a different type of feeling and emotion and experience and connection. Um, and, and the more people feel connected to life writ large, I think the better we all are going to be at navigating. I'm gesturing broadly, like all of this. Yes. Okay. I like that. I like that. Yeah. And I think standing, you know, I've only seen whole fossil records. Like we have a, you know, a really cool natural history museum at the university of Oklahoma. And I, I want to say there's a, I think there's a T-Rex. I want to say, or maybe not. I mean, it's at least a couple dinosaurs there, but I did the whole time I just feel an awe like there was something this big that existed and you know and just it lived here at one point now it like looks nothing like what it probably the habitat but it's just kind of putting yeah. things in that time perspective I think can be awe-inspiring it can also make you feel like small in some ways but also like more connected in other ways so it's it's fascinating um do you or did you at any point have any mentors in your, you know, as you study dinosaurs, anybody besides Dr. Alan Grant? <laughs> um, not, you know, not for dinosaurs specifically, uh, definitely for like science education, science communication. Um, I, I, the big two, like growing up where I think were probably for me, Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Um, as I've gotten a little bit older, I see, I honestly, one of the best things for me 
and I think in general about social media is that, you know, if 15 years ago, if you were a kid and you were eight and you had some dinosaur questions, like, what are you going to do? You're probably going to go to the library. You're probably going to find a book and you can still do that. But now in a matter of seconds, I can literally tweet at like the actual Alan Grants of the world, right? I can just ask questions of real life dinosaur scientists. Um, and that being said, I think I have been privileged enough in my work to meet and work alongside and collaborate with a ton of different, very, I think, fun and younger, like a new generation of science communicators who recognize how the power of social media and the way that you can use entertainment as a means of engagement to get to the content you're going to talk about. Like I've done a lot of, I helped form a, a company that did museum tours. And then we did a bunch of museum consulting and training. And so we'd go to museums and literally the first thing I would ask these groups is, you know, this is a museum. Uh, I know these are not mutually exclusive, but if you had to pick a side, would you say the paramount purpose of your museum is to educate or to entertain? And I have people have this conversation. And obviously it's to educate. It's in the mission, it's in the charter. It's the reason why museums exist. But when you ask people that are coming to visit the museum, yes, the vast majority will say, enter in fact, like you look at studies and surveys of Americans that go to museums and oftentimes availability of parking will rank slightly higher than education as things people look for in a museum visit. Right. And so I'm not saying education should come second to entertainment. I'm just saying I think it's very important to recognize where people's minds are as they come into your spaces. Yes. And so I think a lot about how much like dinosaurs are a great way to engage first to get to the education. And I see a lot of like young people in the science world, both active scientists and people that do specifically science communication that have gotten me into different types of science that I otherwise never even would have thought of. Um, and so I think my, honestly, a lot of my like peers now are people that I look, look up to and emulate, but originally, I mean, yeah, it was, it was your Bill Nye's and your Neil deGrasse Tyson's. Oh, great answers. Um, what do you think the biggest misconception the general public has about dinosaurs? Is I there think one particular that stands out? Uh, that they're not here anymore. I mean, we already, we already hit that. Right? <laughs> yeah, I already hit that, yeah. People don't recognize that birds are dinosaurs. Um, that kind of opened my eyes to both birds and dinosaurs in a new way. I think also the conception that um, they were all giant. Like we already said this too, like somewhere the size of a house. You know, like all different shapes and sizes. Um, I'm just like rattling through the misconceptions now. Uh, everything, not that everything lived a long time ago was a dinosaur. Like just today, there are mammals, reptiles, amphibians. Back then there was a bunch of different groups as well. Uh, like I said earlier, nothing, no dinosaur lived exclusively in water. So you have a lot of marine reptiles like mosasaurs, plesiosaurs, ichthyosaurs living at the time. And then in the sky, pterosaurs like pteranodon, pterodactyl. These are flying reptiles, not technically dinosaurs, uh, equally badass in their own right. They're the first vertebrates on this planet to achieve powered flight. And so like those are like, that's like a misconception doesn't really matter. But I think the, the size, uh, the fact that birds are dinosaurs, and I think the amount of time is like, it's hard to even wrap your head around. Like there is technically more, like there's more time between Stegosaurus and T-Rex than T-Rex and you, right? Oh, so wow. like a, if you drew a picture of a Stegosaurus and a T-Rex fighting, that would be less temporally accurate than you riding a T-Rex. <laughs> okay. Time is insane. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. We, when, when our lifespans are at best, like 120 years, I mean, it's hard to conceptualize 65 million or even a million years. I mean, that's something that's just hard to wrap your mind around. Um, so that's, that's a really interesting one there. Um, which, also, which reminds me, 
if aliens ever have visited this planet, it's much more likely they showed up during the time of dinosaurs, right? Oh, like wow. there was just a much wider amount of time for that to happen. And someone should, I guess that movie has kind of happened. Well, this movie that just came out 65 where Adam Driver, like somehow time travels back 65 million years. Anyway, yeah. someone should write dinosaurs versus aliens. Like that would be <laughs> a great movie. I would watch that. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I think I'm all in on that. Um, okay. I've got a couple of lighter questions I'm going to ask you. Um, so you are also, not only do you talk about dinosaurs, you you encourage people to get into science, but also I think, you know, uh, in your introduction, I, meant, I mentioned that you're involved in, in comedy as well. Is that correct? Yes, sure. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't do stand-up comedy, but I do have, uh, so I co-host a show called Science 101, which is once a month uh, at a venue on the Lower East Side in New York City. Um, and we try to make the absolute dumbest smart show possible. Uh, and it's born from doing a ton of museum events and programming uh, and tours that are geared primarily towards like millennials, frankly. And so we think about like, how do we, how do we turn this into a really fun, like I mentioned before, like engaging, entertaining experience, knowing that because we're science nerds, the science is going to be there. But yeah. instead of beating people over the head, or like, I don't know if you've ever been to a museum, like after hours thing where it's someone who's like 70 and they put their dissertation slideshow up and they're talking at you for 30 minutes about it, which is fine if you're already like bought into that. But right. if you're trying to reach new people and get them excited about the topic, that's a non-starter. So we try to make, like I said, the, the dumbest smart show possible that's interactive, engaging, they're drinking games. And we nerd out with expert, well, we call them guest spurts. Guest, guest experts uh, that are, like I mentioned, my peers in the science communication community. So we did like, we did science 101 stars. We did science 101 sex. We did science 101 butts. We did science 101 cats, right? And then we have someone who's an actual expert uh, and they're like the main attraction for that. And there's a bunch of interactive games and, and weird audience challenges. And it's just a really, really fun, nerdy time. Uh, and it's a ton of fun. And we live stream it as well. So wherever you are in the world, second Friday of every month, we live stream science 101 tune in okay I'll, I'll plug that as well in the show notes i was just curious about asking because i asked that as i was wondering do you have a favorite dinosaur joke maybe either one you've written or maybe one you've heard hate to put you on the spot but oh that's i've, I've only got you here for so much so favorite dinosaur joke uh I, I'm coming to mind as the one I heard most recently, which usually like I've heard all of them, you know, like I just, you know, I'm in that world. But recently I had never heard this one, which is, uh, I'll ask you, John, do you have any idea, John, why, wait, fuck, I'm gonna, can I, first of all, can I curse? Am I? Sure, that's totally fine. I think I'm gonna blow this joke. Was it, why are all the dinosaur fossils in the museum really old? Yeah, that's, why are all the dinosaur fossils in the museum really old? I have no idea. I'm realizing, as I say, this is not a great joke. It's because they can't afford new ones. Which, like, <laughs> okay. Yes, makes uh, anyway. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll work on that. Workshop <laughs> it. It's it's I, I, the spirit of it's good. I like that. I try to stay honestly. I try to stay away from dinosaur jokes because everyone's heard all of them. Sure, you know? sure. Okay, I have one more listener question, and it's not. I I don't know how serious this one is, but it's from my buddy Caleb. He says I would personally like to know where Dinotopia is so I can plan my next vacation. I don't know if that's a question or if that's just more of a statement, but <laughs> do you know where Dinotopia is? I don't know where Dinotopia is, but I will tell, what was his name? Caleb. Caleb. I will tell Caleb what I tell everyone at the end of whatever spiel I'm giving about dinosaurs is like, there's always more to discover. Never stop digging. Oh, I love it. 
I there guess that's a, that's a pun. That kind of works as a joke. Yeah. That works. That works on a lot of levels. So I like that. Okay. Uh, two more questions. Not very serious at all. Not even really dinosaur related unless you want them to be. Uh, first one is, you know, what are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to these days? Any content, dinosaur or otherwise, that's got you excited? I mean, I've been working on these two books a lot. So I haven't been reading as much. But the, mo the, the most recent, like, media about dinosaurs that I watched that was great was... Uh, the new BBC prehistoric planet. I don't know oh. if you're familiar with this. Was that on Apple TV? I is it on? I think it is on Apple. Is it on Apple? I, I think, think the one with David Attenborough uh, doing the Attenborough yeah. narrated, and it's like yeah, a straight up nature documentary. Obviously, there's CGI, but it's a straight up nature doc uh, with dinos, and it's the dinosaurs look great, cutting edge science, and like actually what their appearance looks like. There's some speculation, um, but it's beautiful, and there's good narratives as well, and I think like from a straight it's, and it goes back to the whole like it's not a kitty thing and it's not like a cinematic movie monster like what if these what if you were hiking you come around a corner and you see in a valley or heard of triceratops it's like more along those lines these are actual animals that resided on this planet with us uh they're not here anymore but they're bonkers That's a planet. i haven't finished that series but i need to now that you know you just mentioned i got to go back and watch that one so uh watched a few episodes and loved it but there's just so much to watch it was kind of hard to to follow through but i'm definitely going to add that back to the list um last question um where can listeners of this show find your work whether it's your your encyclopedias that you're you currently have available or if they wanted to jump on and watch one of your live streaming events or anything at all you want to plug basically uh you can find me uh, if you just look up dustin Growick on twitter you'll find me there instagram uh i'm dinosaur whisperer uh, and both of those platforms, I share science about dinosaurs as well as like the show, show information. Um, and then if you want longer form stuff on YouTube, my channel is called the dinosaur show. And like we mentioned earlier, the dino one-on-ones during the pandemic, those are all on there. There there's adult friendly ones, uh, adults only one, and there are kid and family friendly ones. So if you have a little kiddo and you want to sit down in front of the, in front of the computer for an hour and learn about whatever the topic of that particular dino one-on-one is. That's a good place to start. So yeah, if you just Google my name, you'll see all this stuff. Excellent. Excellent. I'll, I will make sure to have as many links up in the show notes for people to find uh, and find your wonderful work. Um, you know, I, I'm just happy. I think we were randomly Twitter friends and I reached out to you and you were kind enough to respond, kind enough to come on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, you definitely, the bar was here and you exceeded yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and then some. So uh, thank you again so much to Dustin Groick for joining me today. That's going to wrap up this episode of Knowledge Brew Supreme. It's episode 66. I'm trying to reach the goal of 100 episodes. So that means I'm only 34 away from that goal. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me today. Please share this episode with a friend or a loved one or somebody you know who's into science or dinosaurs or all of the above. Be good, be safe, and peace out. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.